Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. We've got some great stuff for you coming up this week. We've got an extended Q&A. We're going to be talking about a number of different questions that have come in on a variety of technology topics, but one that's been a little bit uh, controversial in the gaming world, and I'll just leave it at that. We also have a great interview coming up with Steve. He has an interview with a producer that is really, really cool, something worth definitely uh, sticking around for. Got the news and stuff coming up, and send us your questions and comments, 503-766-6264. You can also get to us on Facebook and Twitter at One User Friendly. Our website is userfriendlynation.com. Leave us your questions, and we will use them on the show. Might even follow up with you. Today's news is brought to you by Clancy's Pub and Restaurant, located in Old Town Sherwood. Join us for Sherwood's finest home-cooked classics and comfort food, created using only the freshest ingredients and the finest Northwest seafood. So what's in the news this week? Fitbit joins Google. Okay, so this is something that's been finalized. This has been talked about for a while. Fitbit is the manufacturer of the smartwatches that are designed for fitness tracking. They've been around for a long time. I have one. I think, Gretchen, you might too. And um, it's a situation where, while it's going to be kind of nice to see some of the new features that may come out of this, there's been a lot of privacy concerns, mainly because of the idea of Google has all of your information. And now they have additional information. So there is a certain portion of the market share that says, you know, this is not a good thing. Now, both Google and Fitbit have promised that they will keep everything secure and that type of a thing. But it does remind me of a poster where it says, uh, help wanted, needed jobs at Google. Don't bother sending your application. We already have all your information. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little That's disturbing. really nice. Okay. So. <laughs> well, they never contacted me. What's wrong with them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, what, what's going on here? So we'll keep an eye on this, but uh, it's definitely happening. The accusation, the accusation, the acquisition, let's try the right word there, has gone through. <laughs> Snapchat pays for posts. Yeah, you wouldn't apparently. think of Snapchat necessarily as being a social media platform for putting up no. posts like you would on Facebook or some of the others. But uh, it's definitely happening here, and this is something they want. Uh, they're not directly paying so much. It's based on the number of shares and clicks and all of that kind of thing. But there is someone that posted a video and made half a million dollars. And I'm sure that's the exception to the rule and not the rule. But it does go to show that they're trying to push on this platform for more people sharing and that type of a thing. And if you do it right and follow their guidelines, you can make a little bit of money, maybe. Hmm. CBS All Access to rebrand as Paramount Plus on March 4th. So that's pretty straightforward. CBS All Access has been a streaming media service that's been around for about, I want to say a year now, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I'd have to look that up to be sure. But they've carried some of the new Star Trek episodes along with uh, like Discovery and Picard and all of that, along with a number of other CBS programming. And this is just kind of the next generation of it where they're rebranding under the Paramount Network name. First certified electric plane ready to be used. Oh, cool. I've been kind of sort of following this. So yeah. Tell me about this. Yeah, it's basically it's what it says. The first certified electric plane is ready to take to the skies. It is uh, definitely next generation scenario here. The idea of being able to move off fossil fuels and all of that and having an electric plane that actually works. 
makes a lot of sense. It is so far limited to a 50-minute runtime, so it's enough for taking a flying lesson, but wouldn't be enough for flying cross-country or anything like that yet. But you have to start somewhere. And it seems like in the direction they've been going with these things, it is definitely a next step. And the next step after that will probably be a, a longer flight range. Well, you know, with something like a plane, that you have to really be doing taking it slow because yeah. of the safety concern. It's not like an electric car, oh, it stopped moving. Well, if a plane stops moving... You're in trouble, well, especially if you're the yeah. one that does it. You know, yeah, you can't yeah. really pull over. <laughs> and mm. I'm sure these type of concerns were faced, you know, from everything from the Wright brothers on up as, as new designs and things are being tested. And uh, yeah, you definitely don't want it to um, to run out of steam in the middle of the sky. And, yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> you know, so I, I have a funny feeling that when we start seeing in more commercial use electric planes, which will happen eventually, that it's probably going to be some sort of a hybrid model, kind of like the Prius of a plane, to where it has the electric capability, but it still has a gasoline backup, um, jet fuel backup in this case, for if something goes wrong with the electric motor or the battery goes dead or something so that you don't just fall. Well, that would be nice. Duck, duck, go hits 1 million search milestone. What is DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo is a search engine. And okay. it's a competitor to Bing or Google or any of those. And they focus on privacy on the searches. And they've been seeing an uptick in their user base uh, over the last year. And this threshold is actually a pretty big one, 100 million searches in one day. It's still quite shy of a Google or one of these other search engines that's out there. Uh, Google, just as a matter of comparison, has about 5 billion daily search requests, mm. but they're still going in that basis, and they're they're hitting themselves about 2 billion queries per month, so it is definitely ramping up, and they offer their uh, services as a mobile app on Android and iOS. There's also a Chrome extension that'll allow you to use Chrome with their search engine, but uh, there definitely is a want for alternatives out there. And as far as the search engine world goes, there used to be a lot more of these that were on the market. Uh, Yahoo Search is still there, but it's very rarely used anymore by numbers by comparison. Uh, Ask Jeeves was another old one that mm -hmm. went to ask.com. Yeah. Uh, you know, so these type of things, there's always been kind of a competition. But um, Microsoft tried to get the search market. Google definitely is the king of it right now. But the idea to have an alternative out there and something that does different things, especially one that's focused on privacy, this makes a lot of sense. FAA has approved some automated drones. Yes, and uh, Jeremy, I understand that you think this might not be a good thing. Okay, well, we currently have drones that are being piloted by regular people that are coming into flight paths. Obviously, an automated drone may or may not be able to do that, but what kind of drone are we talking about? Right. Because when I, think of, when I hear the word drone, I think of the big military versions, not a little quadcopter that somebody has decided to call a drone. The ones that they're talking about are somewhere in between those sizes. They're bigger than your just kind of hobbyist, but they're okay. not the military-grade drones. And the primary <laughs> use of them is over things like crops, uh, you know, or oh. a farm or something where you want to be able to keep an eye on things. And that is the approved use, um, at least initially to start with here. I know that they've been using these a lot more in law enforcement and that type of a thing. And so we are definitely seeing some different applications of it. 
Uh, it has a detect and avoid feature. Uh, it has an AI that runs it. So, you know, there's some things going on here that do try to make this safe. And the other thing of it is, is it's programmed not to go into a flight path or anything like that. So while a pilot could fly their drone conceivably into a flight path, in this particular case, this one would be specifically designed not to. And this is really becoming a problem. I know out at LAX, drones in the flight paths, they've been publishing on that. They've even ha been having problems with people in jetpacks flying up. Yeah. Flight <laughs> so that's a thing now for all of our Mandalorian fans. You can I wish I could that. be one of those people being yelled at. That'd be cool. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I took my jetpack too close to the airport. Yeah. Okay. You know, you talk about sci-fi and all of these things, and we are definitely entering a time where we're seeing some of these things. Your house talks to you. I know uh, um, the kit car from Knight Rider, for anybody that remembers that series from the uh, uh, 80s, uh, he's selling the vehicle, and it looks like it's going to go for somewhere around half a million dollars. And at the time that uh, David Hasselhoff and his series came out, he, um, you know, it was like the car can talk. This is really not something that is normal, something that, you know, this is total sci-fi. And we saw that. In it was really things. cool. The whole yeah, idea also, of I can't do that. Drive itself. It drive itself, right. I can't do that, Dave, was another one. And all of these technologies are starting to exist. Now, the jetpack is cool. Uh, but it's going to have to uh, have some control on it, I would think. Uh, uh -huh. Oh, yeah. You know, in another 10 years, if we're all flying around on our jetpacks. We did get our hoverboards, by the way, for everybody that does says that we didn't. But uh, they blow up. So it's not perfected yet. But they are out there, as long as you don't mind that. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Come on. We're not, we're not in the future yet. We, do, we don't have jets and cars. We don't have ray guns. You know, we're 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 inching slowly there, but we're maybe, not close. Maybe maybe inching is is probably better. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe you you do want know. some time to get all of these things right. So anyway, we got a great show for you this week. Stick around; we've got an interview coming up. I'll leave it at that. We're also going to be talking a little bit about streaming fatigue. This is user friendly two point We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where you ask your questions and we attempt to answer them. How do you get your questions to us? Well, there's a couple of ways to do that. By phone, 503-766-6264, or on Facebook or Twitter at One User Friendly, or through our website at userfriendlyshow.com. What do we have this week? What is simple, and why is it going away? I think simple's gone away a long time ago. Uh -huh. Well, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> what this is actually referring to is Simple.com, which has been an online banking system for a while. A lot of people use it, but the system is being shut down. It's been bought is the reason why it's going away. A new company called BBVA is going to be taking it over. If you use Simple.com, you can continue to use your accounts. It'll eventually be merged into the new system. The app still operates, but it will no longer be updated. And a little bit later this year, the whole thing will be transitioned at which time when you go to simple.com, it will go to the new website. What is a short throw projector? Yeah, and I didn't even know that projectors, I mean, I know we still use them, but uh, I didn't know mm -hmm. these were as much a thing as they used to be. And a projector, of course, is an item for projecting a video image on the wall. And they were used and continue to be used in boardrooms and uh, even homes where they have a home theater and that type of thing. The biggest downside to these 
is that the bulbs in them have a limited number of hours. So after a certain amount of time, you have to replace the bulb. And a lot of these bulbs are upwards of a couple hundred dollars. So that was kind so of what is the So what is the short throw part? Well, the because short to me, th- that sounds like a rug or something. Yeah. And, the, well, and I was kind of getting there because this has to do with the bulbs. And a standard projector, you have to have, I think, seven feet away from the screen. And a short, short throw projector, you can have right up against the screen and it will still be able to project the full size image. Wow. And, uh, so that's the, that's the difference between the two. And then there's different versions of uh, short throw. There's ultra short throw. There's sort of short throw. It's not really called that, of course. But if this is something you need, what you want to do is look at the definition of how far away it can be and see if it'll work for your configuration. That's kind of neat because when you think about, like, when I went to high school, they had overhead projectors and, you know, and they the teacher would, you know, write notes on it and project it on, the, on a screen. Right. Well, that changes that. Yeah, they got a lot greatly. of stuff now. Wow. Cool. All right. This is a question I've been asking a lot of different people. What is wrong with cyberpunk? Yeah. This question comes in from a listener who is 17 that was extremely frustrated with this. I think he was trying to play it on an Xbox. Bill, what's wrong with cyberpunk? Well, that's kind of a complicated question, but basically CD Projekt Red, the company that made it, um, said they had a game that was one thing and we ended up with a game that was something else. And by that, they marketed it, they sold it, one of the probably most pre-ordered games in a decade. And the game ended up being unplayable on PS4 and Xbox One. Now it is, of course, functionable on PS5 and the new Xbox series console, but there is that problem is it's not playable. And then even on PC, if you did not have the best hardware, it was still having a lot of bugs, having a lot of stuff. And I'm going to throw this out there, as some other people have said, the game should not have been released in the state it was. Right. You know, no no company should have released a game like that. But, you know, there's a lot of these lawsuits and stuff going against them for false marketing and stuff. And oh I honestly think with uh, this situation, CDPR, um, they've had a good track record in the past, and I think people need to let them have that. They screwed up. They are trying to fix it. You know, I definitely think this is a forgive but never forget scenario. Right. Which I think happens a lot with different places. You know, we tend to have these big situations with Blizzard or EA or uh, any of the other big companies. And we just sort of forget about them because they happen so often. CDPR has always had really good graves. They had Witcher 3. They had The Witcher 2. They had uh, just... Everything else that's come out of it has always been good quality and good. And and I'm going to state this. Cyberpunk 2077 is a good game, in my opinion, for what it is now, if it works. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm, running a, I'm running a very high top-end computer. I had very few issues with the game. Played through seamlessly for one through playthrough. You know, very few situations. I think I fell through the world once. Uh, cars didn't spawn in once or something. You know, I mean, it was so minor. But, um, so, so what you're saying now, I have it, I tried it, uh, I have an Alienware PC, so also a high-end PC, and um, I, my initial thing is I couldn't get through the character creation, but they fixed that in an update. Now, I have not gotten back to it, so are you saying it's time to give it another shot? I'd wait for one more update from them before okay. doing that myself. Um, there's a lot of like big uh, YouTubers and such that are did the same. You know, They did a one playthrough... Uh, uh, Jack Septic, I believe, was the one that uh, was being told about by um, our other producer, uh, Molly. 
that he said, you know, I played it through now with the bugs. The game is okay. Give it time. Right. right. You know, we didn't get No Man's Skyed where it was just garbage out of the door. But Okay, so you're going to have to <laughs> explain really quick what that means. <laughs> no Man's right, Sky, right. I know it, but a lot of our listeners might not. <laughs> all right, so there's this game that will kind of go down in infamy. It's kind of, it's better now, but it's still not what they sold. It was this big, heavy Kickstarter game uh, by this newer company. They marketed it as, oh, you'll be able to go to infinite different worlds and do infinite different things through space and multiplayer that was going to be amazing. And it was going to be, if you were on multiplayer, it was going to be like playing on a MMO like World of Warcraft, where you'll be running into other players all over. And what we ended up with was nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the equivalency of it was they they were saying they were going to sell Skyrim and we got Tetris. (laughs) (laughs) Tetris. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It was, it was bad. I mean, it was so unfinished. It was so underdone. Uh, it was, um, it was like one of these first cases where here was a company that said, this is what you will have spent years doing it and it never came out. You know, I mean, yeah, CDPR has been working nine years on cyberpunk. It yeah. should not have been released in the state. It was, but they are working to make it, Right. right. Even them- now, you know, they were they were putting out patches that week. They were putting out patches just so people could get it to work. Right. So let, and- them, let them fix it. Give it another try. One footnote on this is that game is definitely 18 plus for parents out there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good game. I've enjoyed it. So I'll give it another shot. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Streaming fatigue, it's a thing. And when you look out there at the numbers, it's a thing that's definitely bothering some companies like Disney. Now, Netflix has had their best quarter ever, now having over 200 million paid subscribers. But some of the other services, we seem to see a new one popping up here every month or so, something changing every month or so. And Disney has definitely had some concerns. Bill, what have you found out about this? All right. So basically what's been going on, is according to a uh, Deloitte survey um, reported recently in October, 60% of the respondents uh, out of, I believe it was about 1,100 people, uh, said they uh, used an ad-supported service, which is basically a free service, uh, kind of like uh, how Hulu used to be. You know, you used to have a free service or free version and a paid version. Right. Yep. I remember um, because of that, a lot of them who dropped was said they, uh, like 23%, I believe, said they could find it on an ad-based free service, what they were trying to watch. And what was going on is uh, a lot of these people were going on, they'd watch a series, uh, say, The like Mandalorian, you know, from start to finish, then drop it right after. And so that's what's been going on. A lot more people are doing that. And of course, with... Uh, the pandemic, it was a situation where people's spending budgets were, of course, a bit strained. So going more towards those free services was a natural trend for some of them as, you know, they couldn't afford, you know, five or six streaming services. Yeah, yeah it gets spendy. Now, a free service would be something like Pluto TV, right? Um, Yes, uh, Pluto 
what is it? Vox Corporations, Tubi, Viacom, CBS, Pluto, uh, the Roku channel. Right. So you have a number of those. And I know ads supported. Now, I had a subscription for a long time to Hulu. I've switched since they raised it, uh, the price again for their TV. Um, and it was a situation where you got commercials, but you still had to pay for it, just like cable TV was. And, you know, so there's kind of a figuring out that type of a thing. I moved to a service called Philo, which is 20 bucks a month, but they don't carry the sports channels, which for me is not a big deal. If I want that, I get it on ESPN Plus and then only subscribe when I need to, which sounds like what you're talking about here with all this kind of thing. And the other thing of it is, as far as cord cutting goes, a big part of why you would do this is to save money. And these things start adding up when, you know, Netflix, I think, is what, about 12 bucks a month now for their middle plan. If you want 4K, it's more. If you want one screen, it's a little bit less. Hulu, again, just went up another $10. It was the second time in two years on their platform that does the actual cable channels. And YouTube TV is about the same amount now where you're spending $70, $80 a month for that stuff if you if you want it. And you also don't have the choice of channels. So it's, again, just like a cable TV service where you're forced to pay for stuff that you may not want but you still have the selection of being able to go in and do some other things and deal with it from that standpoint. Discovery Plus has just launched. It's, I believe, $6 a month as well. And it's one that I kind of like because it has a lot of the different shows and networks that I watch. But one of the things that's bugged me about it is all the stuff that was on their regular television channels. It's now like if you want to see this you know, new episode of whatever show, it's no longer available here. You have to subscribe. So that is kind of irritating, frankly, a little bit. So I can Agreed. get where people are getting sick of this. Yeah. Well, you got to pay for the internet. You got to pay for the TV stuff. You got to pay for the whatever subscription services. I could, it's going to get, uh, you know, as bad as it used to be. And when we only had to buy cable and internet. Right. Let's right. hope not. God, that's that, you know, that what's the point? Well, so that's the thing. If you're not <laughs> yeah. paying for the cable services, you got to buy five different streaming things. So it's, yeah. it's getting up there no matter what you're trying to do. And I can see why people are frustrated. Now, in some cases, I can sort of see like, like Netflix, they actually produce yes. uh, original content. Yeah. And so does Disney. And so does Disney. Yeah. So what you're paying for is not just the streaming, but you're also paying for uh, their writers, their mm-hmm. uh, actors, and their costumers, and their set people to do something. And but I guess to be on. honest, with with the the problem is though is like with satellite and such, you are kind of stuck in a contract, right? So yeah, you got it, and you were stuck with it for a year. This isn't having those kind of things, and I don't think people are really willing to go back to contracts. I mean, yeah, there you are yeah. paying for those great, you know, original series, but. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. still start and stop when you want to, and that is definitely an which is nice. So, so one month you take one, the next month you take a different one, something like that. And <laughs> so, what are you doing with streaming services? Let us know. Are you subscribing to them all? Do you pick one? One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest. Steve, who do you have for us this week? Well, guys, today I have a really unique person to talk with today. He's someone that, unfortunately, I've never actually been on one of his sets, but he has a reputation and a pedigree 
and just a quality to the work that he does, which is pretty amazing. His name is Tyler Bournes, and Tyler is, he wears many hats. He's a cinematographer, filmmaker, editor, pretty much anything that you want to do creatively behind the camera, he's your guy. Tyler Bournes, thank you so much for joining me here on User Friendly. Hey, happy to be here, Steve. Thanks for the very, very kind intro. Well, I meant every word of it, because everything I've read about you is, is kind of amazing. I mean, it's, we're in a small market. Northern Nevada is not like San Francisco. It's not like Los Angeles. And yet, the, the type of stuff that you do is very non-local. It's very national. How did you start in the industry? Well, you know, I actually got my start down in LA, because I get that question a lot in terms of why, why Reno. And so, you know, my, my intention was always to go to LA cause that's where, that's where everything's happening at. And I, I did and it, and it went really, really well. Um, and some of the experience from, from the couple of years that I was down there, I still integrate into the, the work I do today, but, um, kind of through a series, series of events, um, you know, I ended, ended up back in, back in Reno and, um, I kind of fell in love with the area and realized there was room for my skill set and for, um, how my skill kit skill set could work from not just being a freelance guy to actually being a full-fledged uh, production company. And so, you know, when I saw that the area was great, there was a lot less competition in Reno. Yes. Um, I decided to, to, you know, kind of go after that and kind of, you know, just realter my, my path a bit. Well, you've certainly done a bang-up job of it. Now, you mentioned coming to Reno. Are you from Reno? I am from, uh, well, I was originally born up in Canada. Oh, wow. Um, so I am Canadian. Okay. Um, but I moved down to the States uh, at 10 years old, and I grew up down in Carson City. So I'm just okay. you know, 30 minutes out of Reno. Gotcha. Okay. All right, real good. So um, the, some of the stuff that you did in L.A. Uh, when, you were, when you were starting, it, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to guess that you were a cinematographer right off the bat. You probably did other things that kind of led up to that. <laughs> I, I, I did anything and everything, anything that, and everything. that I could get my hands on. I, I, my goal was to be a director, but it was like, whatever could make me a better, I wanted to get experience in anything that could make me a better director. And in my mind, the, the way I could be the best director possible was to be educated and have hands-on experience in all the jobs that would be, you know, working under and, and with me so that when I'm on set with them, I knew what I was asking of them. Is this a big ask? Is this a realistic ask? And just try to get a little bit more respect from people when you know, you know, you know enough about how their, their work works. Well, that is definitely the right attitude. Now, something that I've read about you on Facebook is that you just celebrated a 10th anniversary for your production company here in Northern Nevada. I did. In fact, um, next month will be 11 years now. Well, oh, I'm it's so already. Fast. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the 10th year has already kind of gone by. It has. Well, I think the whole last year for everybody was a bit of a, yeah. bit of a flash. <laughs> wow. Um, so something else that I've learned is you're an Emmy award winner. Yeah. You know, the, the Emmys were really, um, really kind of a, a surprise, but something I'm not, a, I'm not a big accolade guy. I'm really not big into the, into the awards and sure. stuff, but those were, those were different. You know, that was kind of on a scale where it's like, ah, oh, you know what, this is actually pretty cool. You know, we put such blood, sweat and tears into, into these projects to, so to, to get something like that back, um, you know, it felt good. It, it, it really did. Now, was that for a documentary? That was something uh, that had to do with opioids, right? It was. It was. So I work okay. with um, a company called Three Sticks Productions and uh, my friend Alphonse Polito over there, super talented team. And so we work with them in coordination with the Nevada Broadcasters Association in the state. And they've got a big initi initiative uh, 
prescription drugs and opioid abuse that's been you know really plaguing the it plaguing sure the state. So we've done a so we've done a couple documentaries okay. now, uh, based around that content. Wow. Well, I mean, a big congratulations for that because that's that's pretty big kudos. And I know you may not be a big awards guy, but you certainly have to appreciate reaching that kind of plateau or reaching that kind of mark in your career because that says a lot about, you know, the kind of work that you do and the quality of what you do. And I almost, it almost didn't hit me at first until I started talking about that I got it. And then everybody was like, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess that is kind of a big deal. I guess it is know, a big I guess deal. I am, prou- I am proud of that. Yeah. You should very well, you should very much be proud of that. So um, I had, a, I interviewed a friend of yours a couple of months back here on User Friendly, um, wonderful audio sound guy, a film recordist named uh, Steve Zydek. And oh, he, and I love Steve. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. He told me about a really fun project that you guys worked on. I don't know if it was last year or it was a couple of years ago. A feature film project that you wrote and directed called Desert Shadows. Please tell me about that project. <laughs> yes, Desert Shadows is my big like passion. Pro- big passion. Like it's my it's my total baby. I wrote it about like forever ago. It was probably eight years ago. I I wrote it and it was just burning at me and burning at me and at one point it was a web series and then it was oh, a feature really? and then it was something totally different so it kind of kept evolving over the over the years and then i finally got to the point where i was like and this is how i i, I choose my my passion project now i was like i can't get this out of my head mm-hmm. i it's it's marketable it's, it's a great first one to to do because it's a horror film and there's a big market for that so i was like so for my first like narrative feature where i'm actually like the guy um, I was like, this is a perfect one to do, and I have no reason not to. So I just kind of, um, you know, I'm kind of a 120% into everything I, I do once like I, I did yeah. do it. Totally <laughs> sounds so like, I was it. like Yeah, so I just kind of put all my cards on the table. I was like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I spend every dime I've, I've ever made. Um, I'm going to make this this project happen. And that's what we that's what we did. So to about a year and a half ago, we... Uh, we filmed it, and we're just kind of wrapping up uh, post-production on it now. So hopefully uh, this year, you'll actually be able to to see it. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. So right now, you're posting it. Yeah, yeah, we're about 90% done. We're just finishing up uh, kind of the last of the visual effects and the last of the, the sound and, and music, and we're, um, we're there. Now, can I, I mean, is it too personal to ask what kind of budget was behind this feature? No, 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 not at all. It's um, so it's what we call an ultra low budget in the in the industry, um, which ranges in the anywhere from like fifty thousand to two hundred thousand range. So that's, we were yeah. we were in between that all set. Okay, that's <laughs> that's pretty respectable. So now you just mentioned <clears throat> distribution. Like, how might we be able to see Desert Shadows? Because I'm very interested in seeing it. Yeah, well, so that's something that's a little interesting now because things have changed. You know, with uh, of course with COVID and the yes. pandemic. Yeah. You know, you'd usually you'd hit the festival circuit first, and you'd um, you'd kind of use that to you build up your user base, and then you would go to to sales agents that would get you to distributors um, to get you out there. Um, but that may or may not be the the case now because so many of them have gone virtual, so they're yeah. um, you know they're not as necessary as they yeah. they used to be. So we may do a couple festivals, but most likely due to that, we'll we'll hit direct to distribution a lot quicker, which means. You'll see us on, um, you know, VOD like, uh, you know, Amazon and exactly. Hulu and, um, you know, p- places like that. Um, you know, we'll we'll go international. We, we're definitely um, that's where that's where you make a lot of your it, money. And it really does. It, the industry really has changed because of the pandemic. Well, Tyler, certainly appreciate you being a guest here on User Friendly. And I know I'm going to want to talk to you again because 
I have a lot more questions for you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, as always, thank you for that wonderful interview. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Steve Tyler Bourne's great interview. Streaming fatigue, definitely a thing that's out there. Let us know. On Tech Wednesday, we cover a lot of these different topics. And last week, we had talked about how we were going to cover numbered radio and uh, some of these ghost stations and different things like that. And if you looked at Tech Wednesday, you saw an article about smartwatches. Well, sometimes <laughs> things don't always go as planned. <laughs> so uh, smartwatches are last week. We're going to go ahead and do what we had promised on the number radio uh, things this week. So go ahead and take a look for that on Wednesday. One of the other things talking about streaming, Gretchen, I hear there's a show, I think it's a show that you like called The English Game. Yeah, it's a, it's like a mini series, And I would suggest it for people who like historical drama. Okay. Well, tell um, us a little bit about it. What platform is it on? It's on Netflix. Okay. And I believe it actually is an original Netflix. Um, production and mm-hmm. it looks like it came out originally March 2020. Okay. And I just happened to have come across it uh like a couple of days ago. And I enjoyed watching it and if you are a soccer fan, uh you're going to love this, but they don't call it soccer in Europe. They call soccer football. Right. So don't be confused. They're not talking about the Raiders or, you know, the 49ers. They're talking about soccer. And, um, well, it's really kind of a cool story. And I'm, I'm almost under the impression that it's actually based on real people who were involved in establishing the rules and um, structure of how soccer is played. Now, that's interesting. Soccer is a game that has had a lot more popularity and growth in the recent years here in the United States. So yeah, like you say, you have American football, which is what we think of as like this, you know, Super Bowl, that kind of thing. But then you also have soccer, which is football in Europe, as you just said, and it has a lot of background and history. And I know in Europe has been very, very popular for a very long time, as much so as our American football is here. And you're seeing it rise in popularity. So is this show, do you think, produced in Europe or is it produced here? You said it's Oh yeah, it's a, the production location was in England. Okay. And it right. looks like. The actors are excellent. And uh, it seems like the story is basically telling us that soccer was originally a game uh, that was, I guess, the the rules Mm. were established by high society, like um, prep schools. Okay. And like Cambridge University. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it was also popular with the working class. And this story is about how the working class struggle to get their teams to be uh, accepted and that players are allowed to be paid. That's interesting. So check it out on Netflix. Sounds like it came out about a year ago. Very much worth the watch, especially if you're interested in soccer. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. 
podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.